0: ...a date which will live in infamy. See, Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Garara River. One the 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic team... ...so great for the breeder in America. So calm and sharpness <laughs> at the Schitzel. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in I say one million Jewish children who were made to become Musa. Adonavecho Whoever heard such beautiful words Adonavecho Talmud It is never too little it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Welcome, Yehuda everyone, Geber. To Jewish History Soundbites, this is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by Rabbi Elliot and Donna Katz, and Rabbi Yoni and Rifki Katz of Boca Raton, Florida, and it is dedicated in honor of this Yud Shvat, which marks 70 years since the rise of the Lubavitcher Rebbe to leadership, and will be celebrated in Boker Raton with a grand concert by Benny Friedman at the Boker Raton Synagogue on Thursday night, January 21st. So this coming week is the 70th yard site, the histalkus of the 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak Schneerson, known by several titles, the 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe, or the 6th Chabad Rebbe. He's also known as the Rayatz, which is the acronym of his name. He's known as the Free Adikr Rebbe, or the Previous Rebbe, in other words, the Rebbe prior to the last Rebbe, Rabben Nacho Mendel Schneerson, who was his son-in-law. So this is definitely an opportunity to discuss a crucial and dramatic saga of, of the Rayatz's very dramatic life, and what we're going to focus on today is his escape from Nazi-occupied Poland. Before we get to that, so usually I, I read a couple of letters. The thing is that the last um, last miniseries uh, I had on, on uh, early Jewish music generated such a huge and somewhat unprecedented amount of feedback that I'm toying with the idea of, of devoting a, 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 its own episode to just to the, a lot of additional information and some corrections and great stories that uh, our community of wise and knowledgeable and dedicated listeners have shared. So stay tuned for that. I haven't made a final decision about it. But um so I'm going to hold off on the letters uh, for this episode. I also want to give a thank you uh, to Nachum Shmaryo Zions, who's a legend, who has such a vast knowledge about everything, and but especially for his assistance and information in the preparation for this episode and many other episodes as well, I don't always mention his input because it's so often, but uh, it's always there. It's very often there. And I obviously um, won't cover the entire story. It's a quite a a large story, and may have to do a follow up episode on this to fill in the details that I won't get to over here. But we're going to get to as much as we possibly can in the time limits that we have. So the first thing is the background. What is the state of Lubavitch uh, Hasidus worldwide in pre war in the pre war time, before the war breaks out, and of the situation of the Rayats himself, of the Rebbe himself at that point in his life. So the state of Lubavitch is in it's a bit of a I don't know if I would call it crisis, but it's state of disarray. It was it's out of its natural home in Russia, where it had been for so many years. The Rayats himself uh, had to escape the Soviet Union in 1927, and a lot of the Hasidim that are stuck behind the Soviet Union are um, struggling to maintain a Hasidic presence under the uh, communist Soviet uh, Russians' uh, regime, which was stamping out religion, um, so that you have that whole situation in Soviet, in the Soviet Union you have um the you know minimal amount of presence in the united states very small very minimal at the time a little bit in israel although in 1929 the chevron uh, lubavitch Hasid, uh, chabad community was decimated um so even there there um it's not it's not a golden age so to speak um and then you have the Rebbe's attempt, uh, Rayat's his attempt to rebuild in Poland um, in 1933. He settles down first in Warsaw, and then shortly afterwards he moves to the Warsaw suburb of Otwatzk, which was a resort, and he establishes himself there. And there's the Yeshivas Taimche Tmimim there, and he attempts to rebuild his court in the center of Jewish life in Poland. So it's that's the situation. That's where Lubavitch is holding. That's where Chabad is holding. Um, and, and this is, again, this is the dramatic life story of the Rayats. Is someone who rises to leadership when his father, the Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, passes away in 1920 in Rostov. And he, the Rayats takes over the movement, which is, you know, three years after the Russian Revolution, the communist takeover. It's still during the Civil War. He moves to Leningrad and then, um, attempts to keep it going. Uh, keep the Hasidim going in the Soviet Union. He himself is arrested and then later has to escape the Soviet Union. Many of his Hasidim are forced to go underground in the Soviet Union. He goes out first to Riga and then he visits um, Eretz Yisrael, which is Palestine, then and he visits the United States in 1929 and then he settles down in in Poland. So this is he has a, very, a lot of upheavals in his wife, in his life up until this point and now he's about to have another one because when the Nazis invade Poland he eventually escapes to the United States, where he lives out his last years in a very, very tumultuous life, which explains a lot of how um, his leadership and his very strong and amazing leadership, has a lot to say about the Rayats in general. But we're going to focus just on this chapter. Now, there's a lot been written about it. There's several articles available either online or in print. And there's an excellent book that came out just a couple of years ago, um, called Rescued from the Reich, How One of Hitler's Soldiers Saved the Lubavitcher Rebbe by Brian Mark Rigg. So that's, uh, you know, one of the main uh, contemporary sources on the subject. There's also the Jacobson family. Israel well, Jacobson was very involved on in the American end, and they recently published a, a book which includes a lot of the cables that were sent during this whole uh, saga. So, um, judging from the feedback, even before I recorded this episode, I Put a, posted a tweezer, uh, excuse me, a teaser on Twitter. Get tongue twisted there, a tweezer on Twitter, but it's a teaser on Twitter. And so uh, I already got feedback from, even before I recorded the episodes. It seems that this is an important subject to many. So I hope that I do even a little bit of justice to it. Uh, let's make an attempt. So in many topics that that I um, that I discuss in the framework of this uh, podcast, um, I don't get too technical. And to get, to get a nitty gritty in the details, I make certain generalizations. And that's because I don't want to bore the audience. And it's often not so relevant to explore the different technicalities. And most of all, because very often I'm trying to cover up my own ignorance of the intricate details of the given subject. So I, I will, you know, zoom out. However, with things that are related to World War II and the Holocaust, I very often get annoyingly technical and obsessed with detail, accuracy, and of correct term usage and dates, uh, because I feel it's important and it prevents misunderstandings and misconceptions which have crept into various uh, narratives over the years. So please bear with me as I nitpick this narrative as well. So I want to make, a, right at the outset, a clarification of certain terms. There's a couple of terms that are thrown around whenever one discusses or sees written up about the, um, the rescue of the riots of the Friede Kareba from uh, Nazi-occupied Poland. And number one is how it was the Nazis who rescued him. Sometimes they even go further and say it was the Gestapo who rescued him, um, and, you know, to point out that it was an irony that the Nazis themselves themselves, or the Gestapo themselves, rescued them. And another thing that you often see, in these writings, is that he was rescued from the Warsaw Ghetto. So there's a couple of terms that are used in that context. One is the term Nazi. Another is the term Gestapo, or even SS. And there's another term that's referred to that's ghetto. And uh, and also, you know, we have to keep in mind the dates of the story. So what, what does it mean, a Nazi, right? So in the 1950s, it was just a term thrown around in the Israeli Knesset at a, by opposing political parties. But, um, but really, before that, the Nazi was referred to, uh, to the Nazi regime of, of Adolf Hitler in, in Germany, the Third Reich. But specifically, it was referring to an individual. So you could say that people worked for the Nazi regime or supported their policies or you know, believed in it or anti-Semitic or whatever or, took, or per- perpetrated crimes under the Nazi regime. And If you want to get really, really technical, though, someone who is, as an individual, is a Nazi, that would seem to mean that they're a member of the Nazi party, not just working for the Nazis or, or perpetrating crimes uh, on, beha- on their behalf. Um, and especially if we refer to someone as a member of the Gestapo. So the Gestapo is a specific branch of the Nazi regime's police, and they would have to be a member of that Gestapo in order to be labeled as such. Um, why is that so important? Because there's very different branches uh, in the, in, in Nazi Germany. There's the Gestapo, there's the SS, there's the military, there's civilian organizations, there's the police force, there's the government, there's all kinds of things. And, uh, and they're very often at odds with each other. Not necessarily are any of them big tzaddikim. That's not the point I'm trying to make is just to make these distinctions because it's important to understand the the, the context. Um, that's number one, which I'm going to get back to, because it was not a Nazi per se, or it was not definitely not a, a Gestapo uh, people who, who rescued the Rebbe. Um, it was Germans in the military, and they worked for the Nazi regime. And for all I know, they were terrible people, but actually one of them specifically was not, which we'll get to. But uh, that's not the point. Uh, The point is just using the uh, correct terminology and understanding the story better. The second and more important thing is, is is that he was, was he rescued from the Warsaw Ghetto? So what is a ghetto? And a ghetto is an enclosed area that the Nazis established during the occupation, primarily used in Eastern Europe, a little bit in Central Europe, Southern Europe, definitely not in Western Europe, not in Germany itself either, which is another story if we ever talk about ghettos one day. But these ghettos were established at specific times and they were enclosed. Some of them were locked up and enclosed and behind walls and barbed wire and others were open ghettos. But they were a structured, uh, systematic uh, part of the Nazi occupation. So there is Nazi occupation in places without a ghetto. Like I said, in Western Europe, uh, French Jews or Belgian Jews, or Dutch Jews, were under Nazi occupation, but not in a ghetto. So the same thing in Eastern Europe, until a physical ghetto was actually established. So the Nazis, they were the Jews; they were under Nazi occupation, but they were not in a ghetto. So in the case of Warsaw, where we're talking about, the ghetto is established in November of 1940, right? If we remember, the Nazis invaded in uh, in September of 1939. So over a year later the ghetto is established and it's sealed it's a closed ghetto and a brick wall is uh, with guards at the uh, at the uh, at the um, armed guards at the uh, entrances and exits to the ghetto so that takes that takes place in november 1940 over a year later so the, during that first over a year there's nazi occupation of warsaw of poland without a ghetto when the Rebbe is rescued, which is the end of 1939, there is no Warsaw Ghetto. It's almost a year before there was any ghetto. So he was not rescued from the Warsaw Ghetto. He was rescued from Warsaw. What's the difference? Who cares? It changes the story. A rescue from the ghetto would have been an entirely different operation. It would have been a much more elaborate. It would have been much more complicated to rescue someone from a ghetto and find, locating them in the ghetto and going around in the ghetto to search for the rebbe and then to take him out secretly through a ghetto exit would have been uh, complicated things as well. So that would have been an entirely different story. So it was not the case. He was taken out from Warsaw. So now we move over to the one who who actually took to took the rescue. Just to get to know who this person is, This a fellow by the name of Ernst Bloch. And he, his, he is the crucial role. He's the one who actually went ahead and saved the Rebbe, rescued him. He was a half Jew. His father was Jewish, but he was raised as a Christian. He grew up in Berlin. He joined, he joined the Imperial German Army during World War One, and um fought at Verdun, at the Somme, in Flanders, other legendary World War One battles. He got uh, seriously injured more than once and went back to the the front. He was awarded two, which is quite rare, quite unique two iron crosses for bravery, among other awards, military awards that he received. After the war, he went to university. He got a doctorate in economics, and he remained an officer in the German army, in the Reichswehr. That's what it was called during the Weimar Republic. He marries a Christian. He did not consider himself Jewish. Um, and then uh, Admiral Wilhelm Canaris, who I'll get to also, he recruits him to join the Abwehr, the German Military Intelligence which I'll also get to uh, in more detail shortly. And he joins the Abwehr in 1935 to assess, his job was to assess the industrial capacity of foreign powers. And he's eventually promoted to the rank of major in 1938. Now, under the Nuremberg Laws, he was considered a Mischlinge, a mixed blood, and Nazi racial laws went by race, so he was considered somewhat Jewish. But uh, Bloch had quite a few things going for him. First of all, he was only half-Jewish. He was also raised Christian. He was married to a Christian, and he was not affiliated whatsoever with the Jewish community. And he was a senior officer and a war hero. He had two iron crosses. Um, so under those circumstances, his superior, the head of the Abwehr, the German intelligence military intelligence, Admiral Canaris, he asks for a special, special dispensation from Hitler at the end of 1939. And this was done, surprisingly enough, to many uh, half or quarter Jews in the Wehrmacht, in the German army over the time of the Third Reich. And there was a significant number, probably tens of thousands of these Mischlinge, these mixed blood um, Germans who served in the German armed forces during World War II, which is obviously another story. It's uh, somewhat mind-boggling. Either way, Hitler accepts the application um, that Canaris files on behalf of Blach. And Hitler himself signs that Bloch is Deutschblutig. He's German blood. He's Aryan blood. So he gets rid of that uh, terrible stain of his uh, Jewish blood. And he's the one who actually carries out the mission to rescue the Rebbe. Later on, he in the war he transferred to a combat unit in 1943 in the Wehrmacht. He was active in the in the German army. So he left the Abwehr, the, the German military intelligence, and he participated in the Battle of Kursk and others on the Eastern Front. In September 1944, by now he's a full colonel. Himmler, Heinrich Himmler, the head of the SS, discovers that he had a Jewish parent, that, that Bloch had a Jewish parent, so he gets him dismissed from the army. So he went home, goes home disgraced, but uh, shortly afterwards he's drafted into the Volkssturm, which was like a people's army due to manpower shortages towards the end of the war. And he fights at the uh, Battle of Berlin where he's killed in during the battle on April 30th 1945, which is ironically the same day that Hitler committed suicide, and it's literally in the last days of the war, and he's 47 at the time. So that's that's his story, and we'll get to his role in rescuing the Rebbe in just a second. So what was this this Abwehr, this uh, this German military intelligence, was which was the actual one that carried out the rescue of the Rebbe, not the Gestapo. Um, it was the Abwehr was was uh, had a lot of tension with the SS. The SS, of course, is Hitler's personal bodyguard and much more ideological, much more Nazi. Um, The Abwehr is German military intelligence. In fact, it was the center of, if we could even call it that, somewhat, uh, if there was any resistance to Hitler's uh, regime, it came from the Abwehr. And Hitler did not trust the Abwehr, eventually dismantled it and closed it down and, and put everything under the SS. So the one who ran it during this time was uh, Admiral Wilhelm Wilhelm Canaris. Um, now he he eventually was arrested uh, by by the Nazis and he's killed. He himself is killed in the Flossenburg uh, concentration camp. In fact, when I uh, often when I, when I was in Yad Vashem before it closed in March last year, so and uh, so I, I would occasionally give lectures and talks. Uh, about the uh, concentration camps, uh, uh, the first slide I would put on would be a picture of Canaris to, to dispel the stereotype that it was only only Jews or uh, you know that there were all types that there was uh, that there was uh, even someone who could be the head of the obver eventually can be sent to a concentration camp and get killed under the Nazi regime. So it's important to understand uh, that. So Canaris is killed on April ninth, nineteen forty five in in Flossenbürg Concentration Camp, together with his deputy, Col- Colonel Hans Oster, who was actually even more active in the resistance against Hitler. And the Abwehr from 1938, from before even the war begins, is, is if there is any resistance, Hitler it comes from Oster and eventually Canaris as well. Oster and also later Canaris even helped some Jews get saved. Originally, Canaris was a bit of an anti-Semite, but here... He eventually, uh, went as a resistance uh, to the Nazi regime, he did actually even help some other Jews uh, uh, get rescued. Hitler did not trust the Avra, like I said. They were in an open conflict with the SS, and Hitler dissolves it in February 1944. Now, interestingly enough, Chabar, uh, as an organization, has campaigned for Wilhelm Canaris to be recognized by Yad Vashem as a Righteous Among the Nations, as a Hasid Umot Olam, Um, Yad Vashem's criteria are quite rigid for someone to be classified as a righteous among the nations. So, so far it has not been practical, but um, during the July 20th, um, 1944 plot, Operation Valkyrie, uh, to overthrow Hitler um, and the Nazi regime, which was a group of German army officers, so, so Canaris and Oster were not uh, directly involved in, uh, at that point. Um, Oster was already under uh, house arrest. Um, and uh, I think so it's Canaris as well, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and uh, the, so it was more the German, it was several senior officers, Klaus von Stauffenberg and whatever, that's a whole story as well. But um so that's that's the Abver and Blach works for Canaris. He he's in the Abver. He's in the military intelligence. So now the Rebbe escapes. Now did the Rebbe escape? Did he run away? Was he taken by others? What was what was his situation? So he was un- unfortunately quite ill already at the time. He was suffering um, from multiple sclerosis. He was already bound to pretty much wheelchair bound, in very trouble walking. Um, uh, he was the Rebbe was actually a heavy smoker also, which didn't uh, d- do much uh, great things for his health at that point either. So he was he had an entourage. He was taken around, and and uh, and this was orchestrated for in order to be able to rescue the Rebbe. So at the beginning of the invasion from Poland, the, the Rayats, the Friederke Rebbe, he escapes from Atwatsk to Warsaw. So then he comes to the city, which you know Atwatsk was a suburb, wasn't that far. In the, in the first days, and he goes into hiding during the Battle of Warsaw. It's funny, one of the articles I saw, you see how these inaccuracies uh, creep into the articles. One of the articles I saw, I'm going to quote from it to see if our uh, intelligent uh, listeners can pick up on the internal contradiction in this sentence um, about uh, the Rebbe's escape. Cables began to fly back and forth among Riga, the United States, Poland, and Germany while in Warsaw, bombs fell and the Nazis hunted for Jewish leaders. End of quote. So we have a fascinating situation, according to that sentence, that in Warsaw, bombs are falling, presumably by the Luftwaffe, by the German Air Force, and at the same time, the Nazis are hunting for Jewish leaders in Warsaw. So that must have been a very precarious situation for those Nazis, hunting for Jews in Warsaw while their own air force is bombing the city. So how did they avoid their own bombs? Mind you, there were no Nazis actually in Warsaw during September because the Poles were still defending Warsaw, and that's why the Luftwaffe was bombing it. And the Nazis only started uh, hunting for Jewish leaders once they entered Warsaw, and the bombing ended, obviously. So that's, that's just a side point. Either way, just to review the dates a bit, September 1st 1939 the invasion of Poland begins September 17th the so- two week two and a half weeks later the Soviet Union invades eastern Poland as part of the Molotov-Ribbentrop non-aggression pact Warsaw falls at the end of September and the entire Polish campaign ends on October 6th with believe it or not the name of the last battle was the battle of Kutsk go figure so so Nazi Germany uh, you know, he, he does the U.S. a diplomatic favor. That's how the Rebbe gets out. Remember the U.S., United States, was neutral at the time. They don't enter the war till the end of 1941, two years later. And uh, von Ribbentrop, the the German foreign minister, the Nazi foreign minister, was trying to keep good relations with Cordell Hull, the United States Secretary of State. So they're willing to do a favor. So here we enter another hero to the story, a fellow by the name of Reb Mordechai Dubin. Amazing person. He was a politician. He was an activist. He was a Chabad chassid, but he was also active in Aguris Yisrael, which was a rather unique situation because the Babich Rebbe was not officially a- officially affiliated with Aguris Istrol. So here he lives in Riga. He lived in Riga his entire life. He was an Aguris Yisrael, representative to the Latvian parliament. And he's close with the ruling party in Latvia. And he was instrumental in getting the Rayats Released from the Soviet Union, from Soviet Russia to Riga in 1927, so he had already rescued the Rebbe once. So then he's heavily involved for the second time in getting him out of Poland uh, under Nazi occupation, in, in, in again to to get him to Riga. Uh, unfortunately, a couple um, shortly afterwards. Uh, after he got the Rebbe safely out, he himself was arrested by the Soviets with the Soviet takeover of the Baltic states in the summer of 1940, and he's arrested and sent to Kubyshev, deep into Russia, which this, of course, saved his life. Uh, the rest of his family and Riga Jewry were completely decimated and exterminated by the Nazis after their invasion. Uh, Riga actually was one of the most hard-hit cities of the entire Holocaust. There's almost no survivors of Riga. Rabdavid Wasserman, interestingly enough, the son of, of, of Rabelchanan Wasserman, It was a rare exception. He was a survivor from Riga. Um, The Rumble Forest massacre was the brutal massacre of uh, murder of uh, Riga Jewry. Uh, The famous Jewish historian Shimon Dubnov was one of the ones uh, killed in Riga during the Holocaust. Either way, so um, Dubin, or Mordechai Dubin, was uh, stated, he was under uh, Russian arrest, Soviet arrest. And he himself passed away sometime in the 1950s, still under Soviet control. A very sad ending to a great man. Um, that's on the Latvian end and the on the American end. So there's a small uh, community of of uh, of uh, in the United States of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's of the Rayatz followers, and they start to lobby the U.S. government. Rabbi Stroll Jacobson, who was one of the most prominent of that small community. Abu Lubavitcher, Hasidim at the time, and uh, he's residing in the United States, and he hires a lobbyist named Max Roed to lobby the United States government uh, officials for his release um, throughout the whole campaign, There's um, the, through the whole of September. During the first month of the invasion, there's cables flying back and forth to locate the Rebbe, where is he, to try to rescue him. It's this huge campaign in the corridors of power in the U.S. Senators involved and and representatives and all kinds of uh, officials in the executive branch. They get Justice Louis Brandeis, the Jewish uh, member of the Supreme Court, him involved as well, and many other government and State Department officials. It turns out that there was a diplomat in the State Department named Robert Pell, who had become friendly with a German diplomat named Helmut Voltat, and uh, and they had met at the Avian Conference of, of, on Refugees earlier in July 1938, which is also another whole story, also a tragic story. And Voltat had informed this Mr. Robert Pell, he had informed him at the time that if the U.S. needs anything specific or a special diplomatic favor, then he should feel free to contact him. Again, remember that the Nazi government is trying to curry favor with the United States at the time so they should remain in this, this industrial giant should remain neutral for as long as possible. So Cordell Hull, the Secretary of State, authorizes Pell to contact Voltat for this rescue mission. The Roosevelt administration essentially wanted to toss the Jewish community in the United States a bone, that they're as if it were doing something on behalf of the beleaguered Jews of Europe. Remember, the the neutrality of the U.S. was crucial to Roosevelt at the time he's running for his third, unprecedented third uh, uh, term in office, and he wanted to stay neutral, um, a lot of pressure at home. So here, and the Jewish community, of course, wanted them to get involved, and to accept more refugees, and to, to pressure the Nazi government, and all those kind of stuff. So here, we're throwing the Jewish community a bone. The bone was the riots. We're getting the riots we're getting a great... A tremendous Jewish leader out. At the same time, the Nazi government wanted to toss a bone to the U.S. government to maintain good relations with, with them. And that bone, again, was the Rayats. So his rescue becomes this huge international diplomatic uh, priority. So at this stage, the Foreign Office of Nazi Germany needs the German military's assistance in locating and extracting the, the Rayats, the Rebbe, to, to the, to do the Americans this favor. The Wehrmacht, the German army, controls Poland. There's no civil administration yet. Again, this is still September. This is literally a couple of weeks into the invasion. The Battle of Poland wasn't even over yet. So they had to carry out... The the, the army, the military, has to carry out the operation. And the German military, in order to carry this out, has to avoid the SS and the Gestapo, who would not be excited about this rescue. So the military, in this case the Abwehr, the German military intelligence, is going... Uh, undercover, because they want to avoid the SS and the Gestapo. Um, There's a lot of inter-office rivalry in the Nazi bureaucracy. It's important to understand how Nazi Germany worked in this context. So so the Abwehr is doing this and trying to go under the wraps so that the SS doesn't find out about the operation. So at this point, the German foreign office contacts Canaris, the head of the Abwehr, who taps Blach for the mission, and he tells him, Go to Warsaw, find Rabbi Schneerson, and bring him out. How is he supposed to find him? Where is he supposed to find him? How can he recognize him? Canaris basically tells Ernst Bloch, That's your problem. You have to figure it out. So now we get, we're getting ready to November. In November 1939, Bloch arrives in Warsaw and he starts to search for the Rayats, for the Lubavitch Rebbe. And he can't find him, surprisingly. He can't find him. The address that he's given wasn't relevant. It had been destroyed during a bombing. And in, in any ways, the uh, Rebbe was moving from one hiding place to another. His Hasidim were trying to make sure that he wasn't found. And it didn't help that, that Bloch was a German officer who was searching for him. So, you know, he was suspicious. They don't The Rayats was not aware of this international mission to locate and rescue him. Somehow they finally get word to the Rebbe, as Hasidim finally get word to him, that he should reach out to Blach and expose himself. And this is something that the Rehats and his entourage did not want to do, but they were told that this is the only way that you can get rescued, so he went out and did this, which seemed to be the craziest uh, thing to do. And Blach comes, and comes to the Rebbe's residence, and his staff, they arrive at the house where he and his family were staying, His, his entourage included his son-in-law and his family, the, uh, the Guraris, um, and his secretary Chaim Lieberman and others were there as well. So Bloch had to do this in a smart way to avoid the SS. So uh, in order to do so, he, he takes them up first in a truck, and then by train, and he takes them to Berlin, which he felt would throw off the SS, uh, throw them off the tracks. He's taking them directly to Berlin, to the lion's den. At military checkpoints, um, he, uh, Ernst Bloch would t- would say, uh, they're prisoners. I'm taking them as prisoners and it's a top secret mission. He gets them to Berlin and then here, they uh, 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 visas to Latvia are arranged and then Ernst Bloch continues and he escorts the Rayats to the Latvian border. And in December 17th, Mordechai uh, Dubin cables uh, uh, that the Rebbe has arrived successfully in Riga. So December 17th, 1939, the saga is essentially over. He's, in theory, safe. He's, um, he's uh, in a, a free country, and it's December 1939, and he's out three months after the war begins. So now that he was ref- rescued and he was officially out of danger, the next hurdle was getting him to the United States. So they lobby for an above-the-quota exemption that, is, that he has a congregation in Brooklyn that needs to hire him as a rabbi, and Breckenridge Long from the uh, State Department allows his visa to be approved, and the riots arrives in New York in March of 1940. Famously, when he arrives in New York, he is told that uh, it was a pretty uh, lousy state of Yiddishkeit. And there's a whole, a whole other story, which we'll to get to another time, is his assessment of the Holocaust and his assessment of the United States jury in May 1941. He lets out this incredible proclamation, this kol which is a a fascinating document, which we'll hopefully get to another time, which is very critical of the situation in in America at the time. But uh, when he attempts to rebuild, he says that his Hasidim, some of them tried to tell him that America is underish, America is different. And he gets up, this man who had been rescued for a second time, he's elderly and sick, and you'd expect him to just try to rest up and recover. And he stands up like a lion and says, America is nicht andrish. America is not different, and he has this vision to rebuild. So that's a little bit of the story of the riots, the free, the kareba, and his rescue from Nazi-occupied Poland. This is Yehuda Geber, Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at, yehuda, at, yehuda, at yehudageber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, tours, trips, lectures, You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at @Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.